to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Paula Cooney, the brand manager for the Zamboni Company. And along with me today, I have Doug Peters, our regional sales manager in the US. And we are being joined by our guest, Alan Baden of Baden Law Firm in Dallas, Texas. Hello, Alan, and hi, Doug. Hello, folks. Uh, welcome from Big D. I'm supposed <laughs> to say that. I, I think that was ingrained in the uh, and printed on the materials that were provided to me when I crossed into Texas from Arizona when I moved here. Wow. Well, so you were in Arizona prior. You were in California before. No, no, no. I, I actually oh. drove across the country. Oh, got it. All right. Well, uh, welcome to Texas. Yes. Was There was a, t a t highway stop. <laughs> um, so for the audience that's uh, listening in today, we're pretty excited to have Alan with us because we have a long history together um, and he represents the Zamboni company and helps us with our trademark matters, intellectual property, and gives guidance to us, uh, not just for our US um, registrations, but abroad. And I just have to tell you, Alan, I've learned so much working closely with you over the last couple of decades. And we actually have a kind of interesting story about how we met. Um, we were in a position where the company needed some guidance on um, an international, on a different country, looking at our trademark and um, looking at our, all of our registrations. And we had some concerns about it. So we needed some, we needed a top gun in this area. And you were definitely the person um, who we needed to work with. And you did a great job with that. And I wondered if you wanted to share a little bit maybe with the group about um, what that situation was and kind of where we sure, went from there. Thank you, Paula. I mean, it's a, that's a nice intro and, a, and a, probably a good segue into the issues that big brands, valuable brands, brands or, or companies who are often driven by their brands, uh, and that's kind of got a couple of puns in there that are probably unintended, um, face. Uh, trademark owners, you know, broadly speaking, have uh, a vested interest in making sure that they maximize their trademark rights. And we can talk about the registration process and things of that nature. Uh, and then making sure that others don't use them properly and to the extent they don't use them properly, they step up and ask them to modify their behavior so that you don't have to deal with them in the future. And I know Paula, you've got a lot of experience with that. Um, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but you know, I know you've worked hard to develop relationships, business relationships with a lot of not just hockey teams and arena owners, but newscasters, news services, and the like, so that when it does come to the you know position every once in a while, unfortunately, it's not an everyday occurrence that someone has misused or may not be doing the best job they could in using your trademark properly, that you've been able to convince them uh, without threats, without involving your lawyer, as much as I would enjoy doing that, um, to modify their behavior and to use your mark properly. The instance you mentioned where we first started working together took place, as you noted, in another country where um, there wasn't a long history um, or the deep sort of history of the use of the Zamboni brand that you have in Canada, and frankly, to a slightly lesser degree in the United States. You've been there for a long, um, and that's not to say that um, 
can't you use the mark first in Canada? In fact, no, it's a U.S. use first. But clearly, the Canadian markets and its focus on hockey and on arenas and on good skating conditions have made, you know, Zamboni uh, a prominent and valuable mark in Canada first, probably more so than any other country. Um, the case we faced uh, and that we first started working together involved another country that didn't have that long history. Uh, and yet we were able to establish, uh, with your help, with the help of your colleagues, in pulling together quite a glossary, uh, we'll even call it a Bible, uh, demonstrating the, the fame, the renown, synonyms obviously, uh, the significant use of the Zamboni brand uh, not just in that country, but worldwide. And that yeah, went a long way really to convincing the trademark office in that country that was resisting, um, and we should say resistance is futile, right? When it comes to Zamboni, was resisting uh, our efforts to register the mark and ultimately we prevailed. And we now own several registrations in that country and more recently have registered the Zamboni brand using their, uh, their alphabet. It was really an interesting exercise for me personally, and I learned a lot about the company and working with you and your guidance, helping us um, identify the things that would be important for that country to review, to see that we could demonstrate that we have a long history of protecting our marks was um, really incredible. I, our, our company, we, we, I will call us pack rats, orders a little harsh, but we have documentation, I mean, back to the very first day of the of the company's uh, formation. So, you know, I, I saw that legacy of protecting the mark and it was a really interesting exercise for me. That kind of it leads me into, um, you know, how this whole, you know, Zamboni trademark and protection, how we, how we look at this. I mean, back when Frank Zamboni originally uh, started the company, he wanted to name it uh, Paramount Engineering. Um, he helped to form the city of Paramount and he liked that name, but it was already taken. So he called it Frank J. Zamboni and Company. Figured nobody could you know, take that away from him. That's his name. Um, and he really focused on having a patent for the machine originally. And that helped protect him for 17 years and gave him time to, you know, get out there and get his machine recognized. But then he saw that what really was important was the name and the branding and protecting that trademark. So we've spent a lot of time and money and efforts focused on protecting the trademarks. Um, the, he did have some patent lawsuits that he had to enter into and prevailed in back in, I think it was in the 60s, not 100% sure on that, but uh, real interesting. That's digging through all of that information and putting it together. And yeah, it was a paper pile about almost a foot thick, I think, that I ended up delivering to you. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, I have it to this day in two binders that uh, I won't say I sleep with it, but it's certainly a, a, a valuable part of of my collection of client materials. Yeah, it is. It was a, a very interesting time. It was a little concerning, but um, knowing that we were able to demonstrate that we had that history of protecting it and that it was taken care of was, you know, a really good thing for our our brand, of course. I know this is something that Richard Zamboni has said to me a couple of times throughout the years. And he used to say it's good to be well known, but it's not good to be generic. And that was kind of how he approached when media folks would say something improper or if there was misuse of the mark, 
Um, and I thought that was really interesting. It kind of stuck with me through the years. Yeah. Well, one of the um, things you struggle with and, and that I don't know that a lot of other trademark owners struggle with, even those that have famous marks is, frankly, the Zamboni name is kind of fun, right? Yeah. It, it rolls off the tongue easily. It, you know, suggests something that, you know, people, even if they're not uh, attuned to hockey or ice skating or, or, or ice facilities, nevertheless, have some knowledge of, if only peripherally. Uh, yeah, the it fact is really that, interesting. I was going to say the fact that you've, you've got a, a successful merchandising program kind of uh, evidences that. And, you know, we've seen uh, you license the mark for books, for clothing items, including hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts, the common stuff, but toys. And then, you know, you've got a long history that you should be proud of uh, and that you can point to in working with Charles Schultz, right? Uh, Snoopy uh, and uh, Charlie Brown and others were big fans <laughs> in their own way of the Zamboni brand and what it represented. And again, I think if it wasn't such a fun term, uh, you, you might not have seen that. Yeah, we definitely have uh, some really fun pop culture references out there. And, you know, the machine's been immortalized as a Monopoly game token. It's been a Pez dispenser. Um, there's a Playmobil toy, the little Matchbox toys. We've seen a lot of proper and licensed use. And, you know, we do see infringement and we try and handle that on a case by case basis. And um, we've actually been kind of worked really well with some of those folks who had a decent product and maybe didn't realize that they needed to go through the necessary paperwork and you know vetting of their business in order to use the Zamboni brand name and um, have actually turned some of those folks into great licensees. So, you know, we're, we're paying attention to the things that are out there and want to make sure that people are aware of the trademark um, registrations that we own and including the likeness of the machine, not just the brand name, but the likeness of the machine in the US and uh, eventually uh, likely in Canada as well. So we have a number of things that we're looking out for and you wanna be careful that you're not necessarily so heavy handed. I think we've been pretty flexible in working with people. It's even some of the smaller folks that have had an idea or a product that they wanted to bring to market and we've tried to make that little dream come to life for them here and there. Yeah, well, we, we certainly can't deny uh, their admissions that they're attracted to the brand. Certainly. Uh, and what it represents. And yeah. uh, to the point you made earlier about um, uh, patent infringement action, it would make sense that it was in the mid 60s because that's when you secured your first US registration for the Zamboni brand. It was filed in 1964 and registered in 65. And no, I was not involved <laughs> in that process. Thanks for clarifying that. I wasn't around either. We'll just throw that one out there as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it, an, an interesting thing through the years has been, you know, paying attention to other brands. Um, and, you know, notably, there are trademarks that have lost their rights. I think Aspirin and uh, Zipper and Escalator and a few other brand names have become part of the public domain. So we're really diligent about it, but we also want to make sure that we're not being perceived as, you know, being kind of this big brand bully. And so we've looked to some of the other groups that have done a good job of it um, and 
talk to their corporate counsel and pay attention to how they maintain their brands. I mean, I can say off the top of my head, I would say one of the most successful in my mind was the Xerox turnaround of calling something a Xerox and it's actually a photocopy. I mean, I wouldn't ask somebody to get me a Xerox of something I would ask for a copy or a photocopy, but back in, I don't know, the 80s, I would even recall people saying, go Xerox this or, you know, take care of it. But they ran a really good campaign. They ran ads. They made sure to course correct. And when they saw uh, misuse of their mark, they took care of it. And I think that they've been pretty successful with that. No, that, that's a, a very good example of um, resurrecting, as it were, a mark. And, and that the term resurrection has a connotation that it was dead, and I don't think it ever reached that point, at least not in, in before a court. Um, unlike, as you noted, elevator, escalator, not elevator, escalator, uh, shredded wheat, aspirin, uh, and some other uh, terms that are now part of the common lexicon that at one time were someone's trademarks. Now, you know, when you think about it back then, um, and I don't, I should probably know this, but I don't know when aspirin was first developed, but I would, let's say it was the, the early in the 20th century, um, there wasn't, there weren't in fact the mechanisms in place that we have today to help alert us to miss possible misuses and help us address those uh, before they get out of hand. To my point, you know, we take it, we can take advantage of technology today and have now, frankly, for years, it was not available even 15, 20 years ago from a policing a trademark perspective. You know, we, we do web searches, we have tools that crawl and identify uses, both positive and occasionally negative, uh, that keep us attuned to how the brand is being used and repeated uh, uses, uh, frankly, worldwide today. And for a company like the Zamboni company, mm -hmm. that's important. Your market is clearly not just the United States or even the United States and Canada. You've got a significant presence in Europe. Uh, I know that you've put efforts, and I don't think this is a secret, into growing your presence in uh, Asia, China in particular, uh, what with you know Beijing hosting Winter Games? I'm still not quite sure Winter how they're going to host Winter Olympic Games. I, I've been to Beijing, but I don't recall any nearby mountains. Maybe that's no longer a, a requirement, or maybe the Chinese uh, are industry enough industrious enough to have built a mountain nearby. Uh, well, that's where Doug can actually sports. step in because Doug was um, a, a part uh, part of our getting into uh, China, getting into Beijing, that's been his marketplace that he's been uh, managing for many years. And Doug, I think you can attest to some of the growth that China has seen and the buildings that are under construction now and some that might have even been completed recently that are going to be used for the games. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to be doing their skiing, but uh, it's something that uh, in and around different areas uh, where Olympics have been held, it's not necessarily that uh, a ski hill or mountain is going to be close by. I think in Nagano, it was probably something similar where they had events take place. And even in the U.S. in Salt Lake, um, they had similar situations where uh, some of the ski competitions uh, were outside of the 
you know, an hour, a couple hours oh, sure. away. The Vancouver uh, Rams so, is another good example, right? Yeah, yeah. So now China, China's been a big market. I know that uh, Paula has been very active in uh, ensuring that not just there, but everywhere that our trademark is uh, maintained. And uh, I joke with people, I say, you don't want to get out of line with um, with using our name incorrectly, or we'll we'll have Miss Paula chasing you down and making sure that you do it properly. I don't need the extra work, <laughs> but it is something <laughs> I that's think interesting. You'll have it regardless. Yeah, um, well, that's for sure. There's yeah, there's you know, back, no shortage back to of that. a point you made earlier. I'd I'd like to to mm. surface, and that is, you know, you've worked closely with and, and benefited from. Uh, let's call it institutional knowledge of other large trademark owners or, or trade owners of valuable trademarks, uh, small and large companies. Uh, I think you all have a vested interest, and certainly there's the International Trademark Association that a lot of companies have in-house counsel involved with, who um, you know recognize that there is value to working together as trademark owners. Uh, both to educate and, you know, occasionally not, not, you know, do this as a group, but in, in the term is not really punish, but at least address head on the issues that are faced by trademark owners today, when it's so easy for people to not only uh, try to reproduce your brand, but do so not just in their uh, their back room or their garage, but suddenly all over the net whether it's through Etsy or on eBay or, you know, Amazon and all sorts of, of avenues. Now, you know, I haven't looked recently, maybe I should to see what would pop up if I were to search for, for the Zamboni brand on Etsy. I probably don't want to see that. Give me a uh, week or two before you go online and let me know and I'll get some things cleared <laughs> up. But I mean, it, it could be my life's work. It could be anyone's life's work. And if you're a, a brand, large or small, you know, there are tools out there that you can use, but it definitely is, you know, like a black hole. You could just go in the direction of spending all of your time and effort on it. So it's a, a measured approach to making sure that you're addressing the most critical issues and paying attention to as many of the spaces as you can, because there is there are so many ways for you to gather information. It could be overwhelming. And, and that's what I try and do when I talk to other brand people that I network with. I, I let them know what some of the tools are that we're using. And I, I ask them to make sure that they're paying attention to their brand, not just in the areas where it is registered, but abroad. You just wanna be sure that you're not letting something kind of grow out of control and that you're paying attention to the things that need to be addressed. Well, you would certainly hope that once uh, an individual or an entity is educated by one trademark owner, it's easier for them to um, understand what they need to be considering before they launch their next product, potentially misusing yet someone else's trademark or trade dress. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I look to some of the uh, other brands and the materials that they produce to help educate the media, the public, et cetera. And one that recently came to us, and I think our uh, podcast producer, Ben, uh, had sent me a link to it. It was a video by the Velcro um, brand company, and it was just this very tongue-in-cheek uh, reference to protecting their trademark. 
and I'll send you a link to it. It was just so well done. It had a great sense of humor. And basically they had characters, I believe, or maybe they were actually their attorneys, like singing and dancing about what it takes to protect their brand. And please don't say Velcro and, you know, make sure that you understand that it's Velcro hook and loop and, you know, trying to distinguish between the generic product and the brand, which should be used as an adjective to identify that product. Yeah, well, fortunately, when we first started working together, I made clear that part of the job was not my singing and dancing skills. <laughs> but I really want you to make one of those videos. When I send you the link, I think you'll appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I, I wish I had the talent. I'm afraid my talents lie, lie elsewhere. It, it was really well done, though. And it was one of those things where it reminded me that sometimes you need to um, have a sense of humor and be approachable and and help people understand because there are different varying degrees of understanding of what our brand name is and what it means and how some people feel they have a sense of ownership of being able to improperly reference it or use it without permission. We have to make sure that we're catering to the audience every time we talk to the groups that we're talking to about this, whether it's the media or whether it's somebody who's selling something on Etsy and they don't realize that they're infringing on our marks. Right. Well, I mean, I think probably from a psychological perspective, if you can entertain, you can educate through entertainment as opposed to wielding a big stick or hammer, you're probably more likely to have um, positive results as opposed to, you know, getting their defensive hackles up and them fighting just for the sake of fighting because they feel like you're annoying them. Right. It's but, true. Like, and the, the, the traditional like the traditional cease and desist letter that you know you might have sent in the past has kind of been replaced by an email outlining the reality of what the person is doing that's incorrect and asking them kindly to make a change in support of protecting the trademark owner's rights and so we've kind of changed our tone over the years and i've seen the the media and the folks that we've engaged with on these matters that have come up have a completely different you know response they truly are helpful. We work with some of the big broadcasting groups. We work with um, some of the you know, major media outlets and everybody from you know, the Associated Press to Reuters to the Canadian Broadcasting Company. And in asking them to make corrections or update information, it, it really has gotten better, like in the last decade. And maybe a lot of that just has to do with the digital tools that we're using. But I've seen a more positive response and a, a willingness to make those changes where it used to be tough you know you'd send a letter you'd fedex it overnight sorry fedex i just used your trademarks um but that that kind of thing and it was a back and forth it's instant now that you can have something change and and be updated to yeah, protect i would think it all it is a little more streamlined a process um you know when i first started practicing law and i i hate to admit it's been a, now a long time um you know, you could spend, uh, as a lawyer, quite a bit of time crafting this, you know, really elegant cease and desist letter on letterhead that had a bunch of names on it and, uh, you know, partners on the left, associates on the right. At least that's how we did it at the first firm I was with. And, um, you know, I suppose they were effective, but at that time, potential infringers or people in general were not getting deluged with, you know, 50 or 100 communications a day through email, through texting, phone calls, just social media, etc. So I think 
uh, you're right that um, a, being a more positive and educational in the approach is more effective and more likely to to gain uh, not only a positive response but one based on them understanding what you're trying to do and appreciating that you're not just coming in swinging. Yeah, definitely. I have a, a quick story on that related is, you know, uh, in 2010, uh, the Olympics were in Vancouver and um, our equipment wasn't on the ice and a competitor's equipment was on the ice. And knowing that, I was a little concerned that the on-air talent might improperly reference our machine or the machines that were there using our brand name. And so we sent a letter to NBC because they were covering the Olympics and um, asked their production team to, to please make sure that on-air talent was aware and that if there were any articles or anything they'd be releasing that they didn't say Zamboni. And there was a failure of the equipment and it was on, it was televised, it happened live and it was a really bad thing for the competitor. And it could have been even worse for us because we were fearful that they would reference our brand name and they didn't and they actually called them ice prep machines they didn't even use the name of the competitor they just gave it the generic product reference on air which was amazing that the letter got there and that bob costas didn't say zamboni just universally because he was up to speed on that and then afterwards you know there was some there were some media uh improper references that we had to address, but it was remarkable seeing the number of people that either used the competitor's name or said ice resurfacers. And it was a, a, a moment where I realized that the work that I'd been doing for the decade prior and that you'd been doing for the decade prior with our company really had you know, caught on. It had a positive effect. Yeah, well, and you should, you know, you're right to pat yourself on the back for that, Paula. You put in the effort right and it, it paid off. <laughs> Quite the contortionist. It was, it was, it was with, you know, your good guidance and us paying attention to the things that we knew would be important, right? That's a highly visible event. People around the world are going to see it. What if? And so we were very fortunate that all of that, the stars aligned so that it didn't have our name used in association with it. But boy, we have had that happen where unfortunately people reference our name in connection with a, a not so good event, we'll say, whether it's a failure of equipment or somebody being hurt, whatever it could be, you know, you want to make sure that your brand isn't properly referenced. And it does take a bit of work to go out there and chase that down because you see how quickly the references multiply online. And, you know, if you search for something using Google and it's about a news incident, it's a little daunting when you see it says, 117,000 mentions of this and you're like where do I start right right and and then there's a, a reference to smoke in the air and, and the like um, yeah. well certainly if you if you can take anything from our discussion today it, it as a trademark owner is that it's an ever going or ongoing process you can't stop now that doesn't mean you can uh you know unless you're perhaps, you know, at the Apples or the Intels or the Microsofts of the world with, you know, budgets that that we can only guess at. Um, actually, I know what some of them are, but I uh, can't tell. We can um, talk later. They're, they're significant. Um, you know, you've you got to keep going. You've got to keep moving. Uh, your role at the company is incredibly valuable. And I, I'm sure the, the Zamboni family and 
recognizes that and, and uh, you know, sees the value you bring. It's, it's significant and it's vitally important. And I, and I can understand from a, from a client perspective, the idea of having, you know, to staff a role that doesn't, although you're the, you're an exception and that you run also the successful merchandising program. Uh, and we've certainly been successful over the years in collecting some funds from from misusers when when it was appropriate. Um, but it's tough as as a trademark owner, as a company that owns trademarks. You know, not all are, are trademark driven, as it were. Um, to to fund, you know, a person either in house or outside uh, the outside lawyers. I can tell you and. You know, it wouldn't be a surprise to them that I'm sure I'm more expensive on, a, on an hourly basis than you are, Paula, or, you know, and uh, not that you're not worth it. But, I would like uh, to send some of your invoices with my name on them to the people that are going to cut a check, if that's okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You get what you pay for, and that is the reality. I I have said so many times to so many people within our organization that the benefit of having the the skill and ability the tool chest that you bring to us gets me there so much quicker it gets my it, it helps guide it helps inform me to make sure that i'm doing the best that i can and that i'm paying attention to the things that i can and that we can manage some of these things in-house that don't need you for a day-to-day -day type of thing but when we need to bring you in because it is something of you know significant importance or it requires some fine tuning that i without a law degree would probably not go ahead and try to take on myself. It, it's worth every penny. And if anybody listening to this has, you know, not considered having, um, you know, sitting with a trademark attorney or patent attorney or whatever it is that you need to protect as far as your intellectual property, I would say, hire that person, do what you can, get some sage advice and check back in with them to monitor how you are maintaining your trademark program. You can't just register a trademark or a patent and walk away and expect that it will be safe. That's probably the worst thing that you could do. You need to be actively protecting it. You need no, to be it, able to it, demonstrate you know, that. I think you, not, I'm sorry, not to point, talk no. over you, but I think you've, you've probably successfully told, uh, you know, your bosses over the years that it is much less expensive to maintain an ongoing presence, as it were, in policing and in registering versus you know, stopping for whatever reason, uh, and then having to restart. And invariably, the reason you would have to restart is because something bad has happened. Uh, and that, you know, that can be uh, devastating to your company. You know, a quick anecdote, years and years ago, Intel used to name their microprocessors a series of numbers, 286, 386, 486, representing different series of, of, of their microprocessors and their primary competitor at the time, AMD, which may still be their primary competitor, started using 386 and Intel ultimately sued them and, and unfortunately lost. And part of that or a large part of that is because Intel itself didn't have in place the controls it needed. This is public record. The controls it needed, it didn't even have an in-house trademark department, a, a, you know, a significant one. Uh, to monitor its own uses, and the court basically concluded, among in in reaching the decision, 
it made to invalidate the 386 and x86 trademarks is you know if you're not using it yourself correctly and you're not preventing others from misusing it why should i give you any attendant rights that is such a great point and something that we can kind of use to like wrap up because one of the challenges I faced internally, you know, a couple decades ago, starting with the company was helping everybody in the company understand how to properly use the mark and making sure that somebody wasn't saying, you know, oh yeah, go to your Zam room or, hey, I'm going to sell you a Zamboni, you know, that kind of thing. Like we need to be properly using it and there, of course, there are going to be cases where somebody just makes a colloquial reference and doesn't necessarily put a circle R next to it. Uh, but we have really changed that, and and Doug has seen it and been, you know, great with respect to uh, training and in the references and him pointing out things to me that he might see while he's out in the field, whether it's somebody having some kind of Zamboni competition or you know whatever it might be. So the the awareness within your own organization is kind of one of the most critical things if it if it if you're not taking care of it in your own house then you certainly can't expect everybody outside of that house to be taking care of it for you yeah well in, in fact yesterday i spent coincidentally a couple of hours creating and then filming myself in the first of a series of training videos on trademarks and copyright for another one of my clients who faces, you know, it's a it's a good-sized company, significant revenues, and an ongoing battle to make sure their own people are using their trademarks properly. Uh, and you know, we I've had discussions with their in-house counsel and similar discussions I've had with other clients that, you know, why not you go through the effort of educating, particularly the bigger companies, of educating your personnel on various company policies and how things are done why not include in that training uh training on trademarks on patents on intellectual property broadly so that you know you can you can nip in the bud maybe not always it doesn't always take but nip in the bud those potential misuses because frankly if i were a defense counsel the first thing i would look for is evidence that the company challenging my client is not using their own marks properly themselves. That's and almost that's that's frankly low hanging fruit when it comes to a dispute, you know, resolving it or addressing a dispute. Now you've given up a secret of the trade. <laughs> <laughs> Defense attorneys, if you're listening, you yes, can write right. a check to Alan Baden. That yeah, I I I know I'm very confident that our company and the people that work here and even our authorized representatives are distributors abroad and our distributors abroad in other countries, amazingly enough, will bring things to our attention or ask their local media groups or whoever it may be with an improper reference to make a correction. So it has been, you know, it kind of reverberates out and it's uh, it's been great to see them as additional eyes and ears. And even members of the public, we will we will see it online. We'll see people make a correction to a media outlet, and they don't even work for us. They're just out there saying that's not a Zamboni machine, you know, or that's a nice resurfacer, or they'll call it whatever brand name it is. So that helps us make sure that we know we're on the right path with all of our uh, education efforts and and you know putting people on notice or asking for cooperation from the media. And it, it makes it all worthwhile just to kind of see some of those evidence of the public understanding the difference between the brand names and that it shouldn't be used generically. One thing I was just uh, was sending a note to Paul, and I think that one of the champions for us uh, before he passed away was Bob Negley. 
and I'll never forget him sending uh, pictures about a diner or restaurant at an ice rink that uh, had used our name without our permission. And what was most insulting to me was that they didn't even have our product in their building. And also Mr. Negley, um, who was involved with Rollerblade uh, the, at the onset of that, but primarily uh, outdoor advertising. Um, he was involved in the rink industry later in his career uh, with Dasher Boards. And I remember talking to some of the people that he had as part of their team. And when they referred to it as billboards, he very quickly and politely corrected them and saying, no, it's not a billboard, it's outdoor advertising. And he, he was just a champion for the cause and a wonderful guy and the original owner of the Minnesota Wild. You look at things in a different way when you have to be paying attention to this kind of thing. And people like uh, Bob Neely and other brand owners that know the importance of it, you just start paying attention to things. I remember sending an email to the Tiffany company because somebody I saw misusing their colors and their font and their you know trademark in a place. And you know they were like, wow, thanks for sharing that with us. Like you just see things and do pass notes along and it really is helpful. And it, it reminds you that you're not the only one out there paying attention to your trademark, other people are as well. Right. Well, the Tiffany company is probably a good example. They've been fighting with Costco since I believe 19, no, 2013 and the lawsuit is still going on. Now, you know, I could be, uh, take a sort of jaded view and say the only people that are benefiting from that lawsuit so far are the lawyers, but you know, it's an example of what it may take or what it can take. Uh, to police your mark. Yeah, it can get it can get pretty intimidating, and there are a number of references like that. I think the the under the color on the bottom of the is it Christian Louboutin? I'm a girl. I should know these things. Shoe. Louboutin. Uh, Christian Louboutin, Louboutin shoes. My French is apparently not my my French accent is being called into question here. But um, the, those types of things we monitor it in the media because it is really interesting. But my goodness, they just it goes on for years and years and years. And, uh, you, you hope you don't stumble into one of those as a trademark owner, but you need to be prepared for it. So make yourself aware and pay attention to what some of these other big brands and famous marks are doing. Uh, yeah, and if you can, address it early. Don't wait. Definitely. You know, and you've been there to help I've guide us many on times that. To clients sure. is, you know, let's, let's try to nip this in the bud because the longer we wait, the more the other side is going to have invested uh, both financially and emotionally in what they're doing. And it's going to be harder to to dislodge them to get yeah. to correct their behavior. Definitely, definitely. Well, I want to give you an opportunity, Alan, if you want to point people in the direction of your group, how they can reach you if you're either online or whatever you'd like to share with. Our, oh, our sure. I, I am always online. It's, it's <laughs> usually a function of of just our life today. That's and true. certainly, you know, as a as a outside counsel for a number of companies and that have, you know, valuable intellectual property assets, you know, it's a continued continuous effort to not not only monitor but investigate what's going on. Uh, I can be reached. This is fairly easy. I, I recently moved to Texas after 20 plus years in California. Not an easy move, but uh, part of it is I decided I would adopt a friendlier. Uh, email address than I used to use. So no more a Baden at Edge Law Group, which still exists, by the way, 
but uh, now Alan at Baden.law. Well, that's uh, easy. Yeah. We'll put that in the uh, text of our um, post when we share the podcast online so that people can find okay. it there as well. That's, that's great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Paula, Doug, Ben. Appreciate thank you, you, Alan and Doug. Thank you, Alan, so much for not just today. This was great and a, a neat chance to get together and see you because I haven't seen you in a while. And I will share with the group here and Doug, who is a big hockey fan as well as Ben, our producer, that um, when I was up in Northern California, you kindly invited me to a Sharks game where I got to watch my Los Angeles Kings be um, handily defeated by the Sharks. I was very excited that the first two goals were Kings goals. I think we know how that game turned out. I think it was seven right. to two. Well, I don't know Thanks that we've seen the same result today. The Sharks are, uh, are uh, not at their finest right now, I'm afraid. Well, you know what? They're doing better than number eight, that is the Ducks that Doug likes to root for. Well, I don't, you know, seven or eight, I'm not sure. That, that doesn't matter if you're not. If you're not first, what difference does it make? You're battling for last place. It's it, it's pointless. But you do have the pride yeah. of Plover down there in Dallas that you can root for now. Joe Pavelski, oh, yeah. who I mean, you know, the stars former are a good team. I I haven't made it. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. Last year, I came to Texas uh, to visit my daughter who lived here. This is before we moved here, and I invited her and her then boyfriend to a stars versus sharks game only to see the sharks fall seven to one i think um, that hurt it hurts it hurts so well you, you can't anyway. always be at the top unless you're the new england patriots and and even they took a mighty tumble this year so yes exactly well alan doug uh, does know some people over there at the star so you know maybe he could uh, introduce you to some uh people over in that area and you can wave at them every time you come in because I'm sure you'll be a season ticket holder once they get back into business. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was Fabulous. a season ticket holder for, I think I figured out 17 years for the Sharks. That, uh, I don't want to think about how much money right I spent. Yeah, that's definitely, you could have probably bought a helicopter for that money. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time uh, today, Alan. We're super excited that we got a chance to have you here. And I want to thank everyone for listening into another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. If you have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. And for additional information, additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcasts, or you can search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts and Spotify. This is Paula and Doug and Alan and Ben wishing you an ice day. <laughs>